church, we have been studying discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, what the marks are of a disciple. And today is our last day in this series. We're going to be talking about what it means to be a multiplier, somebody who multiplies their faith out in the world. Let's pray together and we'll study the word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. The Reverend Lacey Harwell was one of the slowest people that I have ever met. Not only was he a pastor, but he owned a sod farm in rural South Carolina. Could there possibly be anything that screams slow more than owning a sod farm in rural South Carolina? There was no such thing as a quick conversation with Lacey. If he wanted to speak to you, you had just better sit yourself down for the duration, and it was going to be a long duration. But yet, if you wanted to speak to him, he would stop the whole world and give you his undivided attention. Quite frankly, I'm not really sure how the man got anything done. And though he pastored the same church in St. Petersburg for 25 years before he retired, he managed to reach disciples for Jesus in Queen Anne's, Maryland, Knoxville, Tennessee, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, and right here in Bradenton, Florida. And those are only the ones that I know about. And even crazier, most of that happened long after Lacey had gone on ahead to glory. Because you see, Lacey, being both a pastor and a businessman, understood some very basic math. He figured that there's only so many hours in a day, so many days in a week, so many weeks in a year, and so many years in a lifetime. So when it came to making disciples, Lacey figured that the best way to approach this effort was to multiply, not simply add. It's, it's very basic Jesus math. See, these last two months, we've, we've been talking and walking through this path of discipleship, what it looks like to grow in your relationship with Christ. And I explained early on that discipleship is a process and that each milepost marks a significant uh, part of growth in, in your faith. So you start by becoming a member of the movement and mission of Christ. And from there, you go and you seek out your ministry. You manage your resources so, so that you can continue to grow. And you mature in your relationships and you spread the good news. And all of that, while it's very easy to just rattle off, if you actually try to do it, will take you some time. It will take a lot of time. It's a slow process because it's a process that's cultivated over the course of a lifetime. And it comes with a lot of steps forward and then a few steps back, and then some steps forward and back again, you never actually, you never actually get to a place where you have it 100% perfect all the time because your name is not Jesus. And so when you go about this process for yourself, you can immediately sense the slowness of it. There are people in this room who've been following Jesus for 70, 80 years. It is a slow journey. Now imagine, imagine if it's slow for us individually, what that would look like to walk with somebody else through the exact same process. 
How long do you think it would take you to accomplish that kind of growth with just one other person? That could potentially take years. So let's say it takes you five years. Five years of walking with someone to bring them to a place of solid discipleship, which doesn't mean that they've hit every one of the marks that we've talked about, but that they are well on the road to following Jesus. Five years, that's a pretty significant investment of your time. And just so that we can all do some math together, let's say that each one of us took on a person when we turned 30. Do do all of you remember 30? 30? All right. Okay, so we take on one person at 30, and then another one every five years after that until we're 80. So this means that in a span of 50 years, you, just by yourself, if nobody else does anything, you could reach, wait for it, a whopping 10 people for Jesus. That seems kind of depressing, doesn't it? A whole lifetime, 50 years, 10 10 people for Jesus. Can you imagine what that would look like for church growth? Like if, if we as a congregation just added one person every five years and nobody better die in the process, right? Now Lacey did die and he died at 74. So by our addition math, this means that this man, he reached nine people in his 30-some years of ministry. But see, Lacey wasn't using addition. He used multiplication. And because of that, he reached thousands. Let me explain to you how that works. Remember how I said that Lacey was really slow? That that when he talked to you, it it was going to be a long talk, and how when you talked to him, the whole world stopped, and you became the center of it? Well, it turns out that Lacey wasn't that way with everybody. Just a few of us, me being one of them. And the idea that Lacey had was that that he would teach us all that he could about Jesus, and he would trust that the Holy Spirit would multiply those efforts. So long before he met me, he met Deborah. And he helped Deborah to become a member and to find her mission and her ministry. And he taught her how to manage her resources in faithful ways and how to mature in her faith through prayer and study. And when he got as far as he could, he sent her off to seminary and she became a pastor. And she started going through the process that Lacey had modeled for her with other people. So that meant that there are people whom Lacey had never even met whose lives were changed because of his discipleship efforts. And he did this with about six or seven other people who weren't pastors. They were business leaders and government officials and teachers and doctors and grocery store clerks. And so when Lacey died, there were hundreds of people at his memorial service, but there are thousands who are part of his legacy of evangelism and discipleship. You, you, each one of you is a part of that legacy because Lacey taught me how to follow Jesus so that I could turn around and teach you. You are part of the multiplication effort. Back in the days of the early church, they had to start with addition because the numbers were so small. But that quickly changed. Remember, Jesus started with 12. 
He started with, with 12 disciples. He poured his life out into these 12 people. And it's not that he didn't care for more or teach more or heal more. It's that there's only so many hours in a day, so many days in a week, so many weeks in a year, and so many years in a lifetime. You can give, you can always give a tiny bit to many, or you can give a whole lot to a few. By the time we reach Acts chapter 2, we're still in addition mode. The Bible says that people were added to their numbers daily. But you go two chapters later, get into chapter 4, we're in the low 5,000 range. We went from 12 to 5,000. And then we get to chapter 21, which is where we are today, and we're in the double, triple digit thousands of followers. We're in Jerusalem with James. James is the brother of Jesus, and he's the head of the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem is the mother church. That, that started all of these expansion campuses all over the ancient world. Scripture says, when we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to visit James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they praised God, and then they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands of believers there are among the Jews, and they are all zealous for the law. Which means, we're not talking about just butts and pews, right? We're not talking about casual church goers here. We are talking about people who are zealous in their faith, who are at that place where, where they are managing their resources, where they have found the ministry and a mission and a purpose, and they are out in the world sharing the good news. That's what he's talking about here. That's what that zealousness is. Well, how, how did that happen? Because we're not all that far. We're not all that far from Jesus' death and resurrection at this point in Scripture. So this is a multiplication issue. Jesus took on 12. He taught them how to be disciples, to follow him, to share the good news, to serve in, in mission and ministry. If, if each of the 12 just took on another 12, then we're at 144. And if those 144 each take on 12, then we're at 1728. And you do that one more time, just one more time, and you're at 20,736 disciples. So what does all that math mean for us at, at Kirkwood? It means that we actually have some choices that we get to make about how and if we want to continue to grow both individually and collectively as a church. Individually, what we're talking about here is personal discipleship. At the highest level, a disciple is called to be a multiplier. And that means taking all the things that you've learned and discovered on your discipleship journey and walking it through with someone else who is just starting out on theirs. And the goal is to help them to get to a place in their relationship with Christ where they can then turn around and do the same thing for someone else that you have done for them while you, in turn, start working and walking with a new person. Which means then that your efforts get multiplied. Now, collectively, how this works is going to be a direct result of how each one of us approaches this individually. Collectively, we can decide, 
And we don't even have to vote to do this. This is just how it works out with our actions. Collectively, we can decide that, that this type of slow work is exclusively my responsibility as the pastor of the church, which means that if we do the math on this, given that I'm currently 40, and let's be generous and say that I retire at, at 70, then our church stands to solidly gain, wait for this, six people in the next 30 years. And if you don't particularly like that number and you want me to speed it up a little bit, given my extreme athlete status now, <laughs> let's just say that we can do this every two and a half years. So we do it every two and a half years just relying on me. Then we are going to reach... 12 people in the next 30 years. Because, see, I can pastor many. I can show up at the hospital and teach a class and officiate a funeral or a wedding, but to do the work of true discipleship, that is a long, slow effort that requires attention, intention, and relationship. So at my best, we're looking at 12 people if each of you decides that discipleship is my sole responsibility. But if you are more interested in higher math, let me give you a little bit of an alternative. Let's say that our average worship attendance across the whole church is 100 people a week. It's actually much higher than that. There's, there's more than 100 people here at the well. But, but I can't do high math, so we're going to stick with 100. All right, now let's say that those 100 people become multipliers of the gospel, and each one takes on just one person every five years, okay? One person every five years with the goal of that person then picking up a person of their own after five years and so on. And let's say that we do this for the next 30 years, the same 30 years that we gave to me to do it by myself. In the same 30 years, we could collectively make 6,400 disciples if each person just took on one person every five years. So in review, if we view discipleship as solely my job, then as long as not a single one of you dies at any point in the next 30 years, and we work off my 100 number, 30 years from now, the kingdom of God here at Kirkwood is going to be 112 people. But if we go with the collective plan, where we have disciples making disciples, then the kingdom grows from 100 to 6,400 in which case the vision team better hurry it up with the architect so that we have more space to accommodate everybody. There's something I want to be absolutely clear about here, though. I'm talking about disciples. I'm not talking about people who take up space in a pew or a seat. I'm talking about people who are committed to following Christ in such a way that their lives are transformed by Jesus. Disciples are, are givers. They're not takers. Disciples are servants and missionaries and managers and ministers. They're not consumers. 
Today is the last day of this sermon series, and we started out on this journey because the vision team, after talking with people all over the church, identified discipleship as the number one priority of our congregation going forward. And I want to take a minute here. Usually what happens in vision team and and the session is, is confidential, but I want to tell you about a conversation that the vision team had to have, probably the most difficult conversation that they've had to have, that got this process started. It was a conversation that they had to have with me as your pastor. And the general gist of the conversation was that they wanted to multiply and not to add. They are choosing the collective option, which is not how the church has operated during my tenure. You are very used to seeing me at everything, leading everything, teaching almost everything. And the vision team sat me down and basically said, knock it off. Knock it off. Now, before you jump all over the team, Carson's there, Valerie's there, you can get them after church. <laughs> they, they, had, they had and they have very good reasons for this directive. First of all, the church was never designed to be all about me, or any pastor for that matter. The church is designed to be all about Jesus, and to that end, the church's primary and chief goal is to make disciples. Somebody is going to have to do that long, slow work of making disciples, and the vision team understands that I'm that somebody. But in order to do that work, which we have just discussed takes a lot of time, I can't always do everything else. I can do a little bit of some things sometimes, but not everything all the time, and then still have the time to walk closely with a few people on their journey towards Jesus. The second reason that the vision team has this, had this priority in mind is that they want to be able to keep their pastor. For the last nine years, I've done a fairly decent job of teaching and caring and leading in this place. But what I have not done a good job of is teaching others how to do those same things and providing them with the spiritual tools that they need to grow as disciples, to lead and serve themselves. This is a surefire path to serious burnout, and it is one of the number one reasons why churches lose their pastors, because pastors cannot do it all. I'm pretty decent with my addition, but my multiplication absolutely needs some work. So the vision team is holding me accountable to this, and I, and I have to tell you that for a very high-energy type A pastor, they have their work cut out for them. This is very, very hard for me. But that means you also have your work cut out for you. Because what this means is that we're going to see more lay leadership and we're going to need more lay leadership. That transition's already started as you've seen Sonia and Colin start to teach adult Sunday school classes. And you see the Kirkwood Cares team move into the front line of pastoral care for the church, and you start to see this with the fellowship team who just a week ago pulled off an entire event that I barely knew anything about, and that killed me 
that killed me. But what the vision team has done is they have created that pathway for all of us together to really be the church. So if you're at this place where you are ready to multiply your faith, here's how you do it. You ask the Holy Spirit to give you and guide you to that person that he needs you to walk with. And then you build a relationship with them, which is a relationship of integrity and trust and compassion. And here's the coolest part about this. You don't have to do it on a Sunday morning. If you're a golfer, go do it on the golf course. If you're a beach person, go do it at the beach. You find a place that you can invest and pour your life into someone else. And when the Spirit opens up hearts and minds, you go through each one of these levels of discipleship that we've talked about the last two months. And and if you need a list of them, we're going to have those for you in the office. But you need to understand going into this, this is not a short-term project. You're not going to call up somebody this afternoon and say, hey, I'm just going to walk you through the eight steps of discipleship, and we're going to be good to go by dinner time. That is not how this works. This is a long walk in a faithful direction. But when that moment comes for them to go and make their own disciples for Jesus, you will have multiplied yourself and made an enormous contribution to the kingdom here on earth. And so friends, it's not just that I'm the one who has to get better at my multiplication. It's all of us making that move from addition to multiplication. It is time for us to really grow. Let's pray together. Holy God, be with this church. Send your spirit upon us. Help each one of us to get to a place in our relationship with you where we are not afraid to go out and walk with somebody else, to put in the time and effort to love them in a way that you have loved us and to serve them faithfully so that at some point when the Holy Spirit leads them, they can go out and do the same for someone else. Multiply your church. Multiply your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.